What's up, aliens? I hope you're listening in. Welcome to the Where's My Beer podcast. Necessary conversation, unnecessary topics with four guys and a lot of beer. Mike, what are we talking about today? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about this wonderful brewery we always seem to find ourselves at, and then kind of discuss a little bit about where we grew up, where we had our first beer. Um, then we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, third man syndrome, and you know, what it's about and kind of if we've experienced or know anything about it. And then finally, we're going to wrap up with our experiences about setting goals and how we individually handle success and failure. All right, guys, we are at Hobgaw Brewery here in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, off a of Long Point Road. We typically find ourselves here three, four, four times a week. I don't know. <laughs> Me, Mike, and Colin are all right around the corner. Nate's a little further away. I'm on but the other side. This of the is bridge. a good gathering spot from us. I think since almost day one, from when they opened. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we've been here a lot of times. So yeah, definitely from the beginning. And I've still ordered the same beer for almost two years. Yeah, you don't change beers at all. I love it. Just I think all the other beers are fine, but like like a Newcastle, this is an easy to drink beer. Colin, what are you drinking? All right. Um, before we all got set up, I started actually it was a recommendation from you from the bartender. Um oh. the Haiti IPA. Yes. Yeah, I never really drink IPAs, but it just sounded good. Was it good? Yeah, it was a sunny day. I was wearing flip flops all day. It just sounded right. Try their hazy pale ale now next. It, it was, was good. Different. Okay. A little lighter than a uh, IPA. But very, very drinkable, crushable, good yeah. summer beer. Now I'm going back to the staple, just the Budge Angler. Yeah. Soft English ale. Love it. I don't know what I'm drinking. Yeah, you are also on the Bojangler. I'm, I'm drinking a mystery beer. Oh, oh, it's also the Bojangler. <laughs> yeah, nice. mystery beer. <laughs> Actually, I kind of like that game. We're going to start playing that. Hey, Nate, this is mystery beer. Can you tell us what you think it is? I was about to try to do that, yeah. yeah. I'm glad I didn't have to, though, because I would have failed. Mike, what you got? Per usual, just on the complexus. Until they have a better beer, I'm going to stick with it. Wow. Okay. Strong words. The other 12 mean nothing. Yeah, but you've been drinking it for like two years. What, uh, what is it? Just a good old-fashioned brown ale. Nice and easy to drink. You're Low alcohol. Malty. Big malty. brown ale guy. Yeah. Hey, look, I like brown things. You're the, only <laughs> <laughs> the beer that I had, uh, started with was the Bojangler. Um, I tried the uh, Hazy IPA. Tried the, tried the Hazy... Hello, delicious, but I had my eyes set on the second beer here, the uh, Mercy Cloud, which it's a, I do believe it's a New England IPA. It's about 7.2, 6.8, somewhere between that. So we get a little stronger as the night goes on. I like how Jackson did tell her earlier, just like, hey, I'm taking it easy tonight, big air quotes, and he just gets 7% of beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, usually, I mean, I could possibly drink a six pack every time we do this. I'm trying to go for three tonight. I'm already on two. Okay. Starting to. That doesn't bother. I wouldn't oh, like shit. to wake up tomorrow and tomorrow morning and go to the gym and go to work, not hungover. Yeah, that'd be nice. So yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a good move. Well, if you haven't checked out Hopcaw, please do. Great environment, great beer, great bartenders. Um, but they, from they just got a golden tea, so I'm going to be here more often. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's like right there in the corner. And they moved around all the couches and stuff inside, so it's uh, pretty sweet. This is a virtual golf game. No one really knows what it is. If you don't know, now you know. If yeah. you're born after 99. <laughs> I would uh, be surprised if people born in 99 knew what it was. Yeah, that's insane. But yeah, so um, speaking, speaking about, about beer though, yeah. like Colin, do you remember when your first beer was? Yeah, I was just thinking about like 99 and all that. Probably probably not 99. <laughs> it was like you were eight. <laughs> I'd have been eight, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that would make sense though. Yeah. If that was the case. Lower Alabama, the Cubs drank early. Cope. Cope came out of the womb with the uh, beer in his hand. I've got a buddy whose Instagram profile for a long time was him sitting on a counter holding a Miller Lite in a diaper. Hell yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. That's actually the greatest thing. Yeah, it's pretty, That's pretty cool. Yeah, he changed it, which I'm, I'm disappointed in. Um, God, my first beer was a Coors Light. A Coors Light in my basement with a buddy um, that we split it, and we thought we were cool as hell. Oh, I love that. Terrible. I think I was probably like 13 or 14. Yep. Something like that. Yep. Dang. I'm, the first memory I have of drinking beers, my father let me take a sip of a Heineken on the back porch. I do believe I was somewhere early teens, like just a sip. Not like, you know, drinking a beer, sip. So probably 12, 
It was the most disgusting thing I've ever right. had in my life. Heineken still to the day is not my favorite. Yeah, I, def- I remember thinking like, I hate this. Right. I don't like this. But my buddy was drinking it too. And he wasn't, I think we were playing the same game. It was like, you act like you like it. <laughs> and you just kind of stare at each other and you're like, that's really refreshing. Right. It is crisp. That's hilarious. Can you feel it? Like I biting your feel tongue. It. The first time I drank a PBR, that's what I had. Like, I was like, I hate this. Looking back on it now, I was like, I was an idiot because I love it. But <laughs> it's just like, I would sit there and drink it. And I was like, why am I drinking a PBR right now? Was PBR your first? No, Hogarden. Ooh. Hogarden. Yeah. I think I told you guys this one time, but um, the first time I had a beer was a Hogarden and a, a full beer, like not just a sip, but like I drank the whole beer. And it was definitely one of those I sucked down, not by choice, but I was like with all my friends and I was like, oh, I'm going to be cool and drink this beer. It tastes like baked beans and hot dogs. It was not good. (laughs) I still, to this day, that's, I was probably 16, 17 at the time. And to this day have not had it in Hogarden again, because I can't get over (laughs) that first thought of just going like, why do people drink this? Did you have other guys growing up? Drinking beer earlier than that, or, or oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Middle Tennessee, time. everyone drank a lot. A lot of my friends drank earlier than that, but I was playing two sports, so I didn't have time to like fuck around on the weekends. Like the most crazy thing that we did was like, I smoked hookah once when I was like fourteen. That was pretty <laughs> crazy. Yeah, was that freshman year? You probably yeah, yeah, it had to be because yeah. I was in Tennessee. No, I remember yeah. the hookah phase. What does ha- being in Tennessee that was to cool. be with fourteen? I moved from sorry. Florida okay. to Tennessee in eighth grade. So sorry, Nate. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, you're good. Um, yeah, my first beer, um, I, I think I was about 13, 14. I would have been at, uh, one of my buddy's houses. He's, he's got an older brother. A lot of my firsts were at that house. (laughs) With the older brother? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, a good amount of them for sure. Um, it all makes sense now. (laughs) Give us some context. What part of the country were you in? Uh, I grew up in a little town over in, in Michigan or up in Michigan, I should say, compared to here. And, uh, I mean, it, I, my graduating class would have been like 300, just under 300, which is, that's not big, right? It's like, that's pretty, that's average, average size. Pretty average size. Yeah, average size. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Okay, I mean, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a big town, it wasn't a little town, but, um, I mean, the main things to do around there is like hunting, fishing, bowling, and, uh, drinking. yeah, drinking is something that goes along with all Did those. you say bowling or bowling? Bowling. Like with a ball and, and pins. Yeah. Okay. Why aren't you better at bowling? Oh, no. I mean, that's not something that I did a lot of. I'm just saying that's <laughs> okay. what people do. So a third of the town did it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in the hunting and fishing, I definitely partook in a little bit of that. I wasn't as big into it as uh, some of my friends who are going out like every day of deer season. But um, yeah, I mean, drinking beer is definitely uh, a very popular thing to do in, with all those activities. Bud Light, that was probably my first beer. And yeah, I thought it was gross. I was not a fan. But it was always the means to an end, right? I mean, through high school, college, it was like I drank to get drunk, to get messed up. I wasn't drinking because I like actually genuinely enjoyed the act of having a drink. But that's, that's interesting too, because yeah, a change happens, right? When you right. when you start drinking originally. Well, I, I was really fortunate, I will say, because my dad, and that's not just with beers; everything was with you know bourbon or wine or any sort of cocktail. Um, he very early on was like, don't, don't be the guy that just gets drunk at a party. Be the guy that like drinks nice stuff. If you're going to drink, I know you're going to yeah. drink, respect it, kind of enjoy the taste, learn to like the taste and so you Love don't that. abuse it. But when was the first time you guys actually had like, like alcohol and enjoyed it for the mm-hmm. sake of enjoying mm-hmm. it, not to like go party? I would probably say more towards the late end of college for uh, going to school above Asheville, North Carolina with the, the micro brewing, craft brewing, you know. Uh, city and it was just beautiful and you had a lot of flavors and you really got to enjoy it more than just going for the purpose of getting shit face and pounding mm-hmm. PBRs or Newcastle sometimes and uh, whatever we could buy for 20 bucks in college but uh, that's probably the first time. What about you Mike? I was trying to think of the first time like I sat down and I was like I want to drink this because I enjoy like the flavors and I understand a lot more about it and I honestly think it was like way more recent than that probably in the last three or four years where like I sat down and I was like, I'm always, I always drank because it was social and I liked doing that with my friends, like hanging out, like, you know, playing ultimate frisbee, going to party terms, doing that. Like it was always a social thing for me. And as like a social butterfly, I sometimes need that, like, I don't know, vice or whatever. And, um, for the first time it was like the first time I started like drinking wine and actually like liking it. And now it's become, you know, a pretty big part of my life. Like I actually 
actively try to like find more wine that I like and those things, which is weird because I drink beer so much, but I also really like wine. I love wine, red wine only, but yeah. Yeah. But like, I never got into the the bourbon phase or anything like that. Where like, you know, I think Colin is much more into the bourbon than, you know, I would be. And I think I'm much more into the wine than he would be. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Colin. I was just saying, I wonder how much of that comes from like how you grew up and like add that to the college environment because like prior to college, my parent, like we, we had like wine and bourbon at the house and stuff a lot that they would, they would sip on like pretty often and they would talk about different things. Like they were very like open and, and like very kind to us, but like, they were like, you can't have it, but like, this is a good one. Like this is, they, I don't know. It had an air of like, kind of like artistry or, or respect or something like that they cultivated almost like other people have like certain music or movies that they really like. Like it was definitely like a part of the culture at our house. And it wasn't just alcohol. I should really, really back up and say that it was culinary in general. It was, you know, my dad, mom, you know, in another life, they'd be you know, world-class chefs. They were just phenomenally. They might know. be world-class chefs. Like one of the first times we ever hung out, I ate at your house and your mom made us like this amazing, like uh, milkshake, like alcoholic milkshake. And then your dad was <laughs> cooking for us. And I was like, I could be friends with this fucking guy. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, my, the cape, the capes are, are good good culinary chefs they uh i was i grew up in a very fortunate household with that in mind um and they were big into like pairing alcohols with what we were doing um i don't know maybe that's just like growing up in mobile and some of the culture down there and what when we came up to tennessee maybe we just brought that with us because a lot of our friends i don't remember like a lot of our friends kind of doing that when i went over to their parents houses and stuff but so i think i went into college and high school with a with a little bit of a different take on it it wasn't like an escape it was like I always, I was always the guy that was like drinking a little bit of a different beer, a little bit of a different bourbon, like at like date parties and random things. So I just shout out to my dad, I think for making me like want to find kind of the craft in it early on. Well, I love that they kind of, I mean, not necessarily physically shared it with you, but shared that it's not like the high hit it It wasn't taboo, right? They were kind of, um, giving you a good example of what a maybe mature relationship looks like with alcohol. No, as opposed to if you never see that, you might think what I kind of thought growing up is that like people drink to get drunk. So I'm just going to get messed up. I'm going to down this. And then, yeah, I remember at a certain point, I would have been like 20, I think. And I was with my oldest sister who's about 10 years older than me. And she's got a group of friends. And that was, there was a moment I remember I drank, it was a fat tire. We were all drinking fat tire and I was like, and it was, I mean, it was like a chill. It was like, I was kind of hanging out with her and her group and they're all like 10 years older than me. And I was like, that was the first time I'm like, oh, you can like hang out with a large group of people and have alcohol and not be getting like messed up and just be like enjoying, you know, each other's company and just casually drinking um, and enjoying what you're drinking. There was like kind of a light bulb moment there. And I'm like, okay, I don't need to like always just be getting messed up if I'm consuming alcohol. Sure. What was it like growing up at your house, Jackson? Uh, without going too much details, uh, there wasn't much necessarily. We didn't drink at home as kids, nor did our parents really like allow us to drink. Especially, well, I doubt a lot of parents allow you to drink in high school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, we drink in high school, yeah. uh, but it was like we were in the phase of like we wanted to get drunk. Like it was Bud Light Platinums. Yeah, it was Mad Dogs. Uh, four locos, four locos, yeah. Like we were just getting <laughs> belligerent, and it was stupid. Uh, going to now, it's more I like I bring in what I enjoy now about alcohol and some of the wines that I drink and the the uh, the beers that I enjoy, and I bring them to my house, and we'll sit down around the table and we'll all share whatever I bring, and we'll have good conversations. And next thing you know, it's three hours later, and we we just kind of talk over it versus you know having to get completely plastered and drinking domestic beers to drink (laughs) domestic beers it's it's so weird because like i was extremely different from that i was given pretty much as long as i made it to school as long as i got good grades as long as i did all the things that were air quotes expected of me if i wanted to do something i was allowed to do it at our house and which in tennessee is fine like they don't really care about that and so like they you know, if my friends wanted to come over, they want to drink at the house and we have a fire or like sit up in my room, and play video games all night. My parents would just take the keys and no one's allowed to drive. No one's allowed to leave. If we wanted to go somewhere, we had to walk two miles to Kroger, or walk two miles back. And that was it because Kroger was open 24 hours and we would just go do that. And like that was 
And I think because we were so busy and because we're like, oh, if we wanted to do that, we could, but it wasn't very often, like maybe every couple of months we would actually do that. And like, that was, that was it. And like, and a very different experience because then it wasn't until I got to college that I was like, all right, let's, let's binge this shit. Like, yeah, that's interesting. I had a friend growing up that that was literally that it, what you just described was their house. And that was the house that I spent a lot with that, what I was talking about with the older brother, but yeah, their parents were a little bit more lax and yeah, that's, they would take the keys away and they would let us kind of have at it. And, uh, that was fun. That was a lot of fun, but I, I gotta say, I'm not too proud of, it sounds like you were doing a better job of like not getting too crazy with it. Well, yeah, there was just six dudes hanging out. Like our, our crazy was like, we got into a, uh, prank war with like a group of kids in the neighborhood over oh yeah and like that was like the worst thing that we did was like yeah. we got drunk one night and got into a prank war and we stole a bunch of uh reindeer and we put them <laughs> yeah. in positions <laughs> and my mom found out and we weren't allowed to do anything for a while that's funny total like just genial positions just totally normal friendly deer interactions 100 percent. yeah just right in the beside each sense. other just yeah <laughs> enjoying the view i love that uh i have a question for everyone since we've all have acquired a taste bud for alcohol, do you ever think this taste bud will dissipate and you will no longer enjoy alcohol? Mm. That's a deep one. I think I'll go first because I just put this upon you guys. Yeah. I maybe want the intention of not enjoying alcohol as much as I do now when I'm older. I want to be able to sit back, drink a glass of wine every now and then, and maybe a, a old fashioned. Uh, but I don't think I necessarily want to be at the at the rate consistency that I'm at, that I'm at now. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I um, well, I, I've got a thing. Me and my wife say to each other is like, I want to be a hundred, and I want to have like a beer on my hundredth birthday. Like, I still want to be a hundred year old drinking a beer. But uh, I think it'll probably shift. It'll probably shift from drinking like four beers, you know, hanging out to probably like like you said, like a glass of wine or sipping on some bourbon. And part of that might just be to just not feel so full, but yeah, I, I do love drinking beer. So it's hard for me to imagine a future of not doing much of that. I do love beer. I love it. What do you think, Nate? You're pretty much that way already. Yeah. I was going to say like yeah. Nate already has one beer and he's like, I'm good guys. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't really see myself. Uh, I definitely, yeah. I mean, I'm always going to enjoy drinking really what it comes down to for me. Part of the reason I don't drink as much now is just because the way it affects my body. I just struggle to sleep. and. uh I mean, that's really the main issue right there. I mean, I don't feel, I don't feel quite, I have more than a few drinks the next day, my workout, I notice it. It's like, there's a lack of, um, my ability to push quite as hard. So, and my ability to recover as well, probably have to do with my lack of sleep, but yeah, in general, I definitely, um, I, I, I don't think I'll ever not drink, but I think I'll just continue to do what I, what I do now, unless it does get to a point where it's like, Maybe I'm just better off without it, but that's hard to see. I can, I mean, I'm always going to want to have a glass of wine or, or a beer, or maybe, maybe one day I'll, I'll share uh, some bourbon with Cope and see what that's all about. But we are going to take over at least one episode called, called uh, Where's My Bourbon? That where's could be bourbon? at least one. one. And a Where's My Kombucha? I'll have my first Basil <laughs> Hayden's in, I don't remember how long, so. Mike, what about you? Um, I think for me, and a big part of, drinking is the social aspect like i was kind of mentioning earlier it's like it's it's not necessarily because i just like oh yeah i want to go and drink but sometimes i will sit down have a glass of wine while i'm playing video games with my friends or like i'm coming to meet you guys and we're gonna grab a beer but i can also still function normally and i think a big part of that like moving forward it's going to be based on my responsibilities like if i needed to be awake at 5 a.m every single day and sorry that's a lot of wind If I needed to be awake at like 5 a.m. every day, then I could kind of like plan for that. And I would, you know, not drink the night before or do whatever I needed to do. And like that, I would, it would be based on my lifestyle and like kind of where I'm at. I, I do foresee that like retirement, when that kind of comes, I plan on just sitting on a beach and just chilling, having a beer. Like I, when I lived in Grenada, that was one of my favorite things to do is grab the dog, walk down to the beach, get a four pack of, you know, Caribs and just sit on the beach and have a beer. And it was so awesome. And I loved that. Just like going down there and doing that, even if it was at 10 o'clock in the morning, it didn't matter. And it was just like that thing. I'm, you know, maybe it'll change. Maybe it'll be a, a cup of coffee or something else, you know, a cup of tea or whatever it would be. What know? about the coconut water? Oh, dude, I tell them about the coconut water. 
fresh coconut water everywhere in Grenada. It's the greatest thing in the world. I've never had fresh coconut water, but it sounds like Like they would yeah. literally have a truck bed full of coconuts and they would just sit there and break coconuts for hours and they would like legit, legit, like pour it out and they just give you cold coconut water all day. And it was like 5 EC. That's pretty sweet. It was the coolest thing ever. Nate was very jealous when I told yeah. him about it. He's like, dude, I love coconut water. I drink a lot of that coconut That sounds water. awesome. I really like that. Well, um, the purpose of that conversation was to uh, essentially get you to open a beer with us and enjoy the rest of the conversation. So if you don't have a beer, I would like for you to go to your grid, uh, fridge, gridge, fridge, fridge, or clo- <laughs> closest gas station and pick up some beer. And we'll be back. Gridge. All right, boys, we're back and we got some more beers. Did anyone get anything different? Yeah, I got complexes. I, I followed the mindset. Oh, look at that. Yeah. yeah I, I enjoyed the beer that you picked up for me, so I got another one. Wow, Nate got two beers. I went to the Hazy Pale Ale that mm. I was speaking about earlier. Changed the game. Nice. Well, hey, let's uh, just go ahead and cheers real quick Oops. and we'll kind of move on to the next thing. All right. Yeah. So um, last week we kind of forgot about a subject and we got a little distracted. So we're going to talk about it a little bit this week. Um, so the third man syndrome or sometimes known as third man factor is the reported situation where unseen presence such as a spirit uh, provides comfort or support during traumatic experiences. It's mostly experienced by like adventurers, like people who've climbed Everest, surfers that got stuck in a riptide, dragged away from shore, things of that nature. Um, and it's like a references this phenomenon of like littered our culture since like 1922, like when it was first like written about. And uh, pretty sure Cope would know about him, but uh, T.S. Eliot, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he uh, had a poem titled "The Wasteland," in which there's a quote: "Who is the third who always walks beside you?" When I count, there are only you and I together. But when I look ahead, the white, uh, look ahead up the white road, there's always another one walking beside you. And, you know, there's more references to the same type of phenomenon back into the book World War Z. And um, where like there is a character, the Mets fan, which is a complete fictional character that never actually existed. But the colonel believes that it exists or that she existed. And then other things like uh, Gravity and uh, the Ashton Kutcher movie where um, the Guardian where he was like out at sea and like that whole thing happened where like, he's like pulled back on the boat and they're just like, he's like, where's the other guy? They're like, there is no other guy. It's like, mm. no, there's another guy. And so it's like just a phenomenon that kind of happens in those like super traumatic, mostly life threatening situations, in which you're given advice from someone. And how does that like, how does it happen? Like, yeah. like how do we, like, I have no idea how to feel about it. Cause it's just like, Oh my gosh, like scientifically I'm like, no, it's but strange. then, there's so many things I don't understand. I think maybe from a spiritual side, um, I think it could essentially be, you know, a spirit that has maybe uh, been traumatized in the same sense that that individual is going through at the moment and coming back into the realm of life where they experience the same traumatic, uh, you know, maybe climbing Everest of losing oxygen, like, like the spirits around that mountain come back and guide that individual from a spiritual aspect. Well, it's definitely interesting to look into it from a, is this a biological phenomenon where it's something that is, our brain is projecting something. Fight or flight, maybe? Yeah, something you know? like that. Like, like adrenaline's high or the shock value's high and the brain, in, similar in a way that you might experience like deja vu or like you might daydream. Well, hallucinations are very common in, in those types of situations where you're like, out on your own for a long time and maybe you're starved and you've got a lot of sun. Certainly. Yeah. You know, I, my faith compels me to feel that, that it's not purely biological, even, and that, like even, even hallucinations, even things maybe when you're tripping or daydreaming or whatever it might be. I've never tripped, but I imagine there's, there's probably something like that. Um, I like to think that there's, there's, uh, forces that are working around us. I think, you know, historically that might be a comforting thing or, or like a way to tell tall tales to protect culture here and there. But, you know, I, I think it'd be interesting to phrase the conversation around either biology or spiritualism. Um, and if it is a biological phenomenon, what do you guys think? And then if it is a spiritual phenomenon, what do you think that is? Well, I'm more curious to know what you think. Do you think it's biological or, or spiritual personally? I mean, I'm, I can assume, but yeah. I'd like. To yeah. Say. I mean, so you know, I'm, I'm big into my Christian faith. I, plenty of examples in the Bible talk about spirits, talk about spiritual warfare, talk about uh, entities beyond kind of like the biological realm. Um, 
things that operate around us pretty constantly, the Holy Spirit, all of that. So I, I'm a firm believer that there are forces acting in this world that, that are not necessarily uh, something that we're biologically interacting with all that often, but they're at play and they have strong forces. But aside from that, uh, specifically relating to the third man syndrome, I think very similar to the idea of deja vu, I think there is a, a way our brain works that is very hard for us to comprehend, but I think it's way ahead of our eyes and ears. Mm. Um, and I think every now and then we get a, a glimpse of, of kind of like a next level going on around us. That's what I think. I definitely believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, like a little follow up is if you were like in a dangerous situation and felt like something else was with you or someone else was with you or you know, something of that nature, um, would you find that like unsettling or comforting? I think it has to be, well, for me, it would have to be very comfortable, like comfortable. I mean, I can't speak. It's very uh, <laughs> homey feeling. <laughs> homey feeling. Uh, just going to out for the homie. Yeah, just out for the homies. Um, I don't know if I'm in a very distressed situation where I'm already feeling uncomfortable or, you know, a, you know life-threatening threatening situation. You know, I'm going to feel comfort from that individual or whatever that spirit or religious view maybe for me i would believe it's more religious spiritual than anything versus biological there's probably a lot of biological chemicals that are happening uh as your spirit uh and body may be released from your your soul and all that jazz but for me i would look at it from a spiritual aspect yeah i mean i i regardless of my faith i think it's a fun conversation to think okay is this possible to just be like a biological phenomenon? So, and I think yes. But so the one thing with it that's a super important aspect is that this is specifically only in life-threatening situations. To like, this is the most reported, right. and they're not just like this is another person that's here. This person is giving them information that they didn't know that mm. they knew that saved their lives. And okay. so, like a great story is there's these uh, two surfers who I. I want to say it was off Portugal, like where the giant waves are, and it was a father and son and the they kind of crashed and like went out into the water. They were pulled out riptide. And, you know, on those massive waves, that riptide is not just close. Like you can't just swim through it. And they saw this guy like way off in the distance that was just kind of like hovering near the water. They thought he was just on a surfboard or something like that. And he was just like telling them, hey, swim parallel, swim parallel to the shore. And as they kept getting closer, he kept getting farther and farther away. And when they finally got out of the riptide and they were swimming parallel to the shore, they were able to swim back up to shore. And at the last moment, they just saw this guy just got right back in the water and just gone. And so it was something that like they were given this like super important advice, but they never actually saw it. They never met the person, never knew it. And they also didn't know that themselves. They didn't know at the time, like, oh, yeah, just swim parallel. Of course. Did both guys corroborate? Were they both like we, we saw the same thing? Yeah, they were both like that's why it was like such a huge thing because yeah, they were crazy. like, oh, wait, by the way, like this has happened before. Yeah. And everyone was like, what? This has happened before? So that's do, where I was like, yeah, this is I, so interesting. I do like that there's multiple scenarios and stories that you can go back and right. uh, so have is that, proof. Is that your point then? There's, there has been like a lot of situations like this? Yeah. So like um, over 100 years now of like people corroborating the same phenomenon. That's why it's like very interesting to me because yeah. it's like it's not just one person being like, hey, like, you know, I saw this thing. It's a bunch of people, both fictional in fiction and in the nonfiction in real life that it's it's been a thing and i'm very curious to like what we think about that or like yeah. how does that make us feel because like i have no idea yeah <laughs> i mean i'm kind of in a place that's like i mean i think it could be i think it could be either i think sometimes there's there might be times in those situations where it's the person like kind of hallucinating in a sense but they're doing it in a way that there's some sort of information that they're kind of their brain is getting and that's able to like it's creating this hallucination to, to kind of move them forward but i also i do i do also think that there's situations out there where there's something else out that's kind of unexplainable and i mean what jackson and cope are saying maybe like spiritual in a way i yeah i agree with that and i think one thing i and i don't know every story that has been spoken but if you ever watch anything about uh, like near-death experiences most most of these people are knocked out they're already unconscious like they're uh they're pretty much dead at some point or close to it where i feel like a lot of these stories that we're speaking about these people are awake but are on that teeter-totter of almost going on to the other side they're fully 
I guess, comprehensive Cognizant. of what, yeah, yeah, of what what is happening, and the fact that you get this continuum of seeing the same thing that that there's this individual that guides you towards the right direction only, to me, presents more of a spiritual uh, happening. There, it, I've never really thought about this before until right now. Um, you guys have heard me tell this story, but for some listeners that haven't, um, I won't get into it in too much detail, but I got mugged when I was abroad. And I got mugged by two guys in Italy at a train station at about three in the morning. And uh, I had to fight them off. One of them pulled a knife. It got pretty intense. Somehow, thank God, I didn't get stabbed. And I'm pretty sure if I would have gotten a, a hold of the other, you know, the guy's knife, I probably would have, something bad would have happened. I probably would have ended up trying to kill both of them or one of them. Whatever I could do, you know, you'd go into full protection. But uh, I've never thought about it until right now, but a, a train worker came up and helped me. And I've always, you know, in the whole time I've ever told this story, you know, that's, that's always a part of the story. Somebody came and ran and helped me run them off. And uh, then I kind of like hid underneath this, this tunnel for a while, just in case I was worried about them coming back, maybe, you know, with more people or something. But the guy helped me and I went to the tunnel and he was like, Hey, hang out down here. The next train comes at five. You're good. And then he left. And then I, you know, never talked to him, but I, you know, I wonder if there are stories like, like I, I've always stood by that is an actual dude for sure. And he was a train worker and it was the middle of the night and he heard commotion and ran and helped me out. But you don't know, like, I don't know for sure. Like I don't have You like, didn't see him after that moment. Yeah, didn't. So that's really, I've never thought about that until right now. Like that, that's could be compelling for me to think deeper on like, is there a way that I could like, and granted now, God, it's been almost, I was 22, it's been 10 years since that happened. So, yeah, um, that's a wild story. And you obviously, that was a life or death type situation, putting your brain potentially in whatever place that is that yeah. could. Is it possible like some, some spirit came and helped me in the form of a train station worker that my mind could comprehend that I could make a plausible story out of? Or was it your biological, like your brain going, hey, I watched this in like a movie one time or I saw this, like, uh, what was there's a movie where like they take a pill, um, limitless and limitless. like he, everything he's ever learned, he has in the back of his well, mind. Like people that, that are able to speak, Such they get a like a concussion or something like that or not, or like hit by lightning and they're able to like speak a different language or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is, that. What is, is that, you know, obviously the brain's picking up things that maybe oh, you're yeah, not we, fully aware of. Right. Yeah. We can't process so much of our, well, whatever for whatever reason, is. random situations set you up to like tap into that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. My grandfather was a neurosurgeon. Um, I was actually the first, I believe he was the first neurosurgeon in, in the state of Alabama. Um, he went to the Mayo Clinic when he was like 22 or something like, and came back. Uh, and he, we, him and I often talked about how strange neurosurgery is and how strange the brain is. And he often said that we don't even, and granted, this is, you know, back in the early 2000s when he was still practicing. But, you know, he often said that we have like barely tapped into the knowledge of the brain. I mean, he's right. a top guy. Or how and, it all works. And Ben Carson talks about that some too. Um, he's a politician that I really enjoy. He, uh, he talks about like how we, we really don't know <laughs> a lot about the brain. Well, I think it's one of those situations with the brain and the body where it's like the more we learn, the more we learn you know, what we don't know. There's more things out there that we don't know. Well, why is that? Why does it work like that? The older I get, the dumber I get. Yeah. 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 Um, I learn more what things, I, but I, I learn more about what I don't know. Mike, what do you think the third man syndrome is? I have no idea. Like, it's somewhere, like, from a scientific standpoint, I'm like, yeah, just, that doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work. From a scientific, like, you didn't see this person because it wasn't there. But there's also that spiritual standpoint. And there's, at the same time, there's something to me that, like, speaks to that fight or flight that, like, when shit hits the fan and you don't have time to make a decision, you don't have time to think, oh, like, what would I do in this situation? Your body just reacts and your brain reacts. And it could just be you reaching out to that thing. And maybe that's what's happening. Or it's just might be like, oh, I've seen this happen one time. I know exactly what to do. And it might not be the right, right thing because maybe people that didn't live right. can't tell us like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was the wrong thing because I learned the wrong thing back in the day. Like I learned that, hey, you should swim straight at the shore instead of parallel to it. Right. We don't know that. So like we don't know. Those things, I, I think it's fascinating. And well, I have a, I have a very strong photographic memory. It helps me with my art. It helps me draw. It helps me see something. And then a couple hours later, I can see it again in my head and draw it. So 
that's just a pushback on the biology thing. Um, and we, we lightly touched maybe on mirages earlier and stuff, mm -hmm. but the brain can project, like I can emphatically say the brain can project something that I see in my head and I can see it in my head while I'm doing something physical. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that it's like a physical thing that you can attain. It's just something your, your brain's projecting what you need. Yeah. So it's a, it could be a biological thing where your brain's going, I need this information to be in front of me, so I'm creating it. Yeah, I'm creating a being that I can relate to, that I can trust in this moment, almost like a self-preservation thing that can give me the knowledge I need so that I trust it and maybe not trust my inner voice or something. Yeah, I don't... Like, I can see the brain doing something to, to try to protect itself in that weird... Well, it's interesting to talk about, I mean... DMT in this situation because yeah, your brain yeah. releases DMT when you're near death. It also releases it obviously when you're sleeping. There might be, I mean, I kind of think potentially I've never taken DMT, but I've taken a lot of other psychedelics. And uh, sometimes it feels like you might be able to like tap into a different frequency in a way, I guess. And you can all of a sudden see things that maybe, maybe in some way you are interacting with something that's real, but you just can't see it or interact with it when you're in a normal state of mind. But when you are in these crazy states that might be, you know, um, induced through near death experiences, I mean, who's the, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, have you, yeah, I mean, maybe. obviously that, that was a situation for you. And, uh, um, I'm curious to know about if either of you guys have had anything like that maybe, or, or anything else that might've made you feel like I always, there's something else going on. I don't, I don't think I have, I don't think I've ever had like a close call. Or anything that would like, or like a dream or oh, dude, I've, I could go into dreaming all right. day. Okay. More demonic dreaming. That'd be a great conversation. I've had <laughs> a lot of That's why you use those. the demon emoji all the time. Yeah. Well, what about like a dream maybe where like, I mean, have you ever had a dream where like it was almost like a prediction of something that happens later or something like that? Not that I can pull up off the surface right now. Okay. Have yeah. you ever had deja vu? That's what I mean. A lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Which yeah. breaks me out. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of, and kind of what drove me to this the first time I saw it, was that I had a friend who hiked the Appalachian Trail between sophomore and junior year of college, and they had explained that they were just, like, sometimes able to do things, and they just didn't really prepare for it, but it just kind of worked out. And, like, they, they weren't fishermen, but they caught a fish in the, in the water that they were able to eat when they missed a stop. They, you know, when you miss a stop at the Appalachian Trail... You don't just miss a couple hours or a day. You might miss four or five days. And if you didn't plan for four or five days of extra food and you do that twice, you're dead. And so yeah. it was a thing in which they went in the wrong direction and had a whole thing. And they weren't prepared for that. And they had that moment where they were like, I had to eat a raw fucking fish. And I was like, how'd you catch a fish? They're like, I just walked in the stream and grabbed it. And I was like, you know how many times I've been fishing in <laughs> East Tennessee and I've not caught a fish because... <laughs> blah blah and it's just like like you just walked in the stream and grabbed a fish they're like yeah and i was like what the hell i was so grumpy <laughs> i was just like one of those things and now like when i saw this i was like did they catch the fish or did someone else help them or like did oh, something yeah. happen in that situation it's like i had no idea and i was just like wow well yeah i mean it made me think it really made me like similar to you like watching you break that down like your eyes were going absolute crazy when you were talking about it you're just like thinking about all these things you're just like Oh my God, did I think of something different? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's a wild moment. Yeah, I'm going to have to think on that again later because <laughs> it, uh, it actually, I started tapping my foot. Um, I know we're not on video or anything, but like I can feel my heart rate go up thinking about that, which obviously any traumatic moment you can, but I don't think I've allowed myself to consider the fact that there, <laughs> I guess you can never roll, rule anything out, but there is a, I guess, a tiny percent chance that that train worker was not real, which is, would be baffling it wouldn't be outside of my realm of like belief and faith i mean that that checks out with a lot of my faith but that is compelling i want to i'll crack open some bourbon later and really dive into that <laughs> i can't wait for that text all right so i got i got one last question for you guys so what's the weirdest place you think this phenomenon like to experience what would be the weirdest thing like at that time like oh I'm having an existential moment. Like there's this other person that's just telling me what I should do to save my life. The weirdest. Yeah. The weirdest. <laughs> Either the bedroom or the toilet. Dude, the toilet was the first one that came to mind. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my You're God. just mid poop and something just is sitting in the corner to say, get the fuck out now. <laughs> You're like, what? Lift up your legs. <laughs> It'll come out easier. <laughs> <Squatty potty. laughs> 
Oh, but yeah, I'm uh, imagine would be pretty creepy. The freakiest would be an airplane. There's a colonial woman. Like, wait, wait, uh, wait, is this like near uh, final destination when they're on the airplane and the guy has that, <gasps> oh, uh, yeah, that dang, dream or deja vu. Dude, and that was it. Like, I got to oh, get off this plane. Yeah, that he was does. A, and that's how yeah. it all started. It blows up. Right? Yeah. Dude, I haven't seen that movie in so long. Dude, they used that was to a big deal when out. that came out. Yeah, dude, I, yeah. That freaked me I out still too. don't drive behind log trucks. Dude, oh, same, no. same. <laughs> <laughs> when I see them like just knocked over to the side of the road, I was like, "Could have been me. Could have been me." <laughs> yeah. So wait, is this? Are you talking about like weird, like uh, like oh, life the, or death, or or uh, it's like every day? Well, well, mostly the weirdest ever. moment that there was someone else telling you how to survive, and you don't know if they're real or just or not. what to do in yeah. general. Yeah. Um. I'm struggling to think of it. Oh. Probably benching 135 for Nate. Yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I struggle with that every time I'm on the bench. Do I got one more rep in me? Mike there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a guy that's like on my shoulder like, yeah, you got it. You got it. You got it. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, Mike had to get benched day today. I love that. What happened? Yeah. It was just good. It was good. Yeah, 70s move easy on incline, yeah. but I, I can't get him up, man. Dude. I love that. I love yeah, that. I need someone in. to just stand above me with heavier weight so I can just like move it. That's, yeah. I guess it's using a bench, but I don't want to use like a barbell. I want to just use weights. Dude, so I used to struggle with pop up up on the shoulders if we're doing uh, dumbbells and then that first rep to get them up would always be the hardest. But uh, like pause, pause bench, like go to the bottom of the bench and pause mm. with lighter weight. A barbell or still uh, dumbbell? You can do both. I'm just talking about what can help you get out of that. Pause squats at the uh, pops, pause squats or benches at the bottom, or for like two to three seconds, lightweight or like a pulse. Go all the way down, half rep up, down, Ooh, full rep. Okay. Yeah, lightweight, game changer. I'm all about the pause. Right Nate's too. third <sighs> man is taking notes right now of how to make sure to save his life next time. Nate's. So it doesn't drop a two twenty five on his forehead. Oh, oh man, yeah. I wonder that if was, there's a. That was a story. I wonder. I wonder if there's like an aspect of that phenomenon that is like the the inner you. Like, is is have you guys ever heard of that that concept of like there's the real you and then the the you that you you guys don't talk to yourself? your inner you. Yeah, I talk to my inner you all the time. Every morning, I'm walking around the house like, ah, oh, Michael, you should grab some coffee. Like yeah. third person, Mike. Yeah, back nine. Mike, no, I have. I know Mike. what you're talking about. Like the the one day you'll have the regret regret of seeing what you could have been versus what you are now and like the yeah yeah, yeah. i know rogan talks about like the inner bitch like conquer the inner bitch um and a big and to, inner like, bitch. to like make a decision daily that you're like okay there is a version of me that i have to beat right and i know goggins and all those guys talk about it a lot but i wonder if with that third man thing i wonder if there's a a ver- like in traumatic situations is there a version of yourself that in that moment you can kind of like like all the time people talk about, okay, uh, I just died or almost died, and I've, like, left my body for a moment. Mm. And they look down on themselves. Have you, have you guys heard of that stuff? Of course. Like, people that are like... Yeah, out-of-body yeah. experience. Yeah. So out-of-body like, out, experience. Yeah, yeah so, think, like, yeah. when I was doing research uh, to kind of, like, see if this is something we can even talk about, uh, out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences were, like, hand-in-hand with a lot of these things. And a lot of, like, this moments and, you know, reported incidents and things of that nature. And a lot of people that had out-of-body experiences explained similar uh situations that were close to like near-death experiences or traumatic experiences so it was very um interesting my favorite thing is that everyone's different because i've watched some shows and um you know uh that people have these experiences but not everyone understands the same thing uh so that's that's just a very interesting topic and maybe we'll jump on that a little bit later but uh if you don't know anything about it look at look it up Third man syndrome. Uh, very fascinating. We would like to move kind of towards the last conversation here, uh, but we're going to grab a beer real quick because we're looking pretty empty and this is where is my beer. I know where my beer is. It's at the bar. We're going to find it. We're going to go get it. Also, get your beer. Get your beer. Goodbye. Join us. All right, guys, we are back. Uh, Refresh beers for the last topic today. Uh, we are going to get started on our final conversation of um, our experience with setting goals and how we may handle success or failure with those goals. Um, I would like to shout out my mother for this conversation. Uh, we were, me and Mike were, were uh, playing golf and she loves the podcast. She'll listen every episode we 
produce, even if it's just absolute trash and she'll give me feedback and whatever. But she sent me, um, a conversation and there's a lot of different ways we could probably present it. But I guess the first thing I want to do is ask the group, whoever would like to go first, has anyone ever set a goal and not succeeded by the timeline that you gave yourself? Yeah, I have, I've actually a present example, like literally today I've kind of had to readjust my goals. I've had, I, I told Cope this, I don't know if I told you guys, but I've had this, um, this goal in mind to deadlift 500 pounds. And I've been working towards that for the last three or four months, maybe a little bit longer since November. Um, and yeah, I've, I've, I've tweaked my back a few times, uh, you know, working towards this goal and I've, I've heard it pretty bad recently. And now I'm going to have to, I, yeah, I mean, just today I was visiting with, with my chiropractor and we were kind of talking about the way to go about it, um, moving forward. And yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to like really just lay off the barbell lifts for a while until yeah. it, it gets back and kind of change up my, my, my training. And once I get back to normal, then I'm going to have to make the decision of, do I, do I go, you know, try again to get back after this goal or do I you know, just be happy with where I'm at with my deadlift. And I haven't fully decided. I'm not going to decide that until I get through what I'm dealing with right now. But yeah, I've had to, I've kind of had to be like, okay, I got to kind of give up, even though I could, I mean, I could, I do feel like I could push through it, but I don't want to break my back getting there. So well, I think there's a difference between a, uh, injury that prevented you to, of proceeding versus you just quitting. Like you didn't quit. Yeah. Like you okay. had a physical injury, which I mean, still a great example I appreciate you sharing, but I think that's uh, not a, you didn't choose to just stop that goal, you know? Right. Well, it could be a goal within a goal too. It might, <clears throat> first of all, I think you will get it and I think you shouldn't definitely keep going after it. It's a goal that I have oh, as yeah. well. I appreciate that. I think you need um, to follow real quick some of the best deadlifters in the world and see what they do to prep. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I do. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I try. I, yeah, you could always just sumo up. deadlift. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that is something my chiropractor recommended. He's like, switch to sumo. And I'm like, get the book out of here. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I mean, a conventional 500-pound deadlift is something that I, I really want to do as well. So um, I think you should keep chasing it, maybe even for my own selfish reasons. But um, you're not that far off. We're not that far off. I, I think if we dedicated a year or two years, and I think that's good. I think it's really healthy to set like legitimate, achievable goals that are really hard. Because it requires you to be pretty, pretty intent about it, you know, to put mm -hmm. some actual intention to your life. As long as it's a healthy goal, I think it's worth doing something very difficult and hard. Um, and nothing, nothing truly valuable, I think, comes without like pretty good hardship. So, yeah. And like Jackson said last podcast, I mean, uh, when he was referring to the chess player, you either win or you learn. And so right now you've learned that what you've been doing is not going to get you there. Yeah. So you've got to adjust, yeah, right. you've got to audible a little bit, you've got to adapt. So good point, Cope. Why are you there? Uh, give us an example. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> an example. Exam example. I was burping at the uh, same time. When I, I, am, <laughs> I am still trying to get my South Carolina licensure for architecture, and that's been a big bear in my life. But I know that what's on the other side of that is awesome. It doesn't stop me from doing what I'm doing right now. Everything I'm doing is totally fine and, and okay. But that's a big, uh, that's a, a good life goal that, that I would have assumed I would have met by now, but I didn't expect to go out on my own by now. And it's very hard to do on your own because you need hours and you need time to, to study and, and the steady paychecks, you know, a lot easier to do that. But, you know, the, the Bronco is probably the biggest goal that I've achieved in my life that, that I set that was kind of, uh, probably a little gargantuan. Um, so that, that buying that represented a lot of different things to me. So that's why I'm talking about the goal within a goal. I'm going to say for context, Colin set this goal for himself, like what, four years ago. Yeah, and then like ago. during like lockdown, just started day trading like a mofo. <laughs> yeah. And was like, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I that's awesome. On, I took on extra jobs. I wanted to do it cash, which is something that a lot of people our age don't, don't do. They don't believe in. It's not arguably very financially smart in, in a lot of ways, but in others it is, you know, there's a lot of schools of thought on that, but it was something that I wanted to do to own. Not just to have or borrow or feel like I was renting, but I really, really wanted to set kind of a strange goal of, I want to, well, first of all, <laughs> I should say this too, because goals get shifted often, right? 
Mm-hmm. So one of the things that jumped in my way financially was uh, that I didn't have a steady paycheck, that it came in weird moments, but I was also married and my financial goals and my acquiring a, arguably a pointless car um, to a lot of people, you know, is not a very like worthy goal to try to achieve. Um, but prior to that, I had to set aside some of that because we bought a house and then uh, we got Brady a horse. And those are things that I, I was, you know, very, very um, interested in doing, which kind of all did it backwards from what I thought. You know, I thought it was going to be, okay, buy, buy the Bronco, then buy the horse, then buy the house. And instead, we did the, the horse, the house, then the Bronco. <laughs> Sounds um, like there's, there were that. some priorities there that may have been uh, influenced by your other half. But that's kind of fun, right? Because I think it, I mean, that's it's a good check, right? It, it, it's a good way. When you have things that kind of like jump in the way of what you think is the priority, it allows you to be critical about if you really want it or not. Mm-hmm. And like with your deadlift thing, you know, there are things that are probably, even without you noticing, maybe getting in the way of it here and there. Um, not necessarily that they're bad things, but, you know, it is interesting to see like what's stopping you from that mm. um, or what's getting in the way of like making like expedited progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But like, what do you guys, what are some goals? Uh, I guess the most recent one that I maybe have experienced, there was a hundred day goal, man. That's awesome. It's a great thing to set. That's true. Mm -hmm. I guess, I guess, well, I plan on succeeding in that and doing my best and, uh, feeling accomplished by it. So I'm 32 days in, uh, I've only missed one workout. I was extremely hungover. That was my issue, but I've saved for 31 days and it's been awesome i've saved over fifteen hundred dollars already so it's been really cool um but i guess one failure that i have experienced was there was a uh, nutritional uh uh certification that i wanted from a uh, precision nutrition um and i bought it i got like six chapters chapters into god what 20 maybe and i just i just got distracted life distracted me there's no other excuse i just got you know, caught up by different things and wasn't studying, uh, on a weekly basis and I wasn't doing the, uh, the exams after every chapter. And I kind of got set aside and it's found its way into one of my, uh, cubbies and one of the little, uh, uh, TV stands that I have. So I I fucking think about it every week, but I was like, damn, I need to really do this. I mean, simple, like literally if I just do every chapter, pass every exam at the end of every chapter, I get my certification and it's still a desire, even though I've took a, taken a shift in my career. I think it's something I always like to think about is nutrition and how I could potentially help people eat better. But, uh, that's probably one of my failures that I have not been able to, I guess, bounce back from and achieve. So one thing that I have in the back of my mind. Well, it's not a failure if there's still the opportunity ahead. Yeah. I mean, I, I pick it up tonight, start reading. Yeah. yeah. Gets let's home let's a, talk about that later. As a drunk we'll talk. talk about it. I do think it's important to be willing to admit that, you know, um, we're not perfect. Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, I know for me especially, I mean, there's definitely, I've had other goals that, just random goals that I might have made and I just didn't follow through with it. Um, it's interesting how when you, I mean, I, I don't, I'm curious about what you guys might have to say about it, but yeah, when you set your brain or when you set your mind to something, I mean, are there certain goals? I'm sorry, actually, let's, let's get to, you want me to keep going? Okay. I'm sorry. Is there certain goals that you feel like, I know for me, there's something that clicks with certain goals that it's like, it's happening. I'm going to make it happen. There's other goals I'll make that are like a little more, um, I want to say arbitrary. Like I'm not, it's not like, like, I want to do that, but it's not like I'm not going all out after it, basically. You know, it's kind of secondary, I guess. Yeah, like, I tier my goals. So I have, like, things that are far-reaching and borderline unattainable. Like, they're, they're my reach goals. The things that, like, hey, if I don't get it, it's okay. Because I know that this thing was super unattainable. unattainable not entertaining. Like, <laughs> so, so like, entertaining goal. yeah, it's so like, it's like a far reaching. It's like, you know, a very low likelihood, but that's okay. Like I want to set something to like push myself in a direction that, you know, I wasn't trying to be in like most recent one was like, I never in a million years thought that I would ever going to get to 200 pounds at all. Like, you know, people that know me for a long time, I was always just the skinny guy who like literally couldn't put on muscle no matter how hard I tried. And now on the other side of 200 and like, oh, that was easy. Like, this is a joke, right? Like, <laughs> and so 
I um now let's get back to the other side. Yeah, let's get <laughs> That's the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I wish it was it was like yeah. a whole year of just eating like an animal. Don't you wish it was out? the op like as easy as it is getting fat? I wish it was easy. Not saying you're fat. I'm just saying to I'm gain, saying I'm fat. I'm uh, fat gain, Mike. Gain <laughs> gain weight or whatever. I wish it was just as easy to do the opposite. It is. I it's just discipline. That. I like that it's hard. It's a different type like, of yeah. difficult. Yeah. I like, I like that other people. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, it's like, okay, let me, let me see. Yeah, everybody would do it. If we're laying it out step by step, it's pretty fucking easy. Well, yeah. you eat well. Yeah. You work out. Yeah. But fuck. America has made it so difficult to eat healthy. Oh, true. Because yeah. this podcast has made cocaine, it difficult. The cocaine that they have put in every food that we eat. <laughs> and we're so addicted. Yeah. One uh, thing, okay. I, rant there. Um, yeah. Well, it's worth bringing up real quick. Okay. Though. Speaking about like diet and fitness and all that, because Nate's goal of getting to 500 and failing at that, that is a, a goal that, you know, I would imagine 99%, maybe 99.9% of the population is like, what the, what kind of goal is that? It's like, funny. I, this, I don't even have that goal. I don't ever with, desire with that. Six pack abs. Any and, lifts you know, at all though? You have numbers? Oh, squats. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, it's all, I guess that's my point. It's all relative because yeah. there's a lot of people that would, their goal in life would be to get to like like a body like Nate has like sure. a lot of people, but that's not enough for, for certain people. They want to hit like numerical goals. They want to hit other things that like striving to, to push further. Like that's, it's inter- interesting because you, you consider it like a failure in that in a way. And I don't mean to laugh that. I mean, I mean it in like a, it's actually kind of cool to sit and think about because for a lot of people getting to your body type would be like reaching Mount Olympus. And I'm very flattered that you would say that. Well, that's what's cool. I think that's what's what's good about again going back to like the male friendship stuff and keeping people accountable and and keeping each other like setting goals because we're never good enough. We're never enough. Like I think yeah. I think falling into complacency is is arguably one of the worst things a human can do. Yeah, so. I th- I do think it's very important to obviously be uh, happy with w- where you're at, where you where you've came from. Um, and to have that perspective sometimes and I appreciate you saying yeah. that because I mean, yeah, it is, you know, I mean, I am a little bit, um, discouraged with this situation that I'm dealing with my back and the fact that I'm not going to be able to get there as quickly as I thought I was going to be able to, but what were you at before you injured yourself? What was the max you could pull? I, well, I had just, I mean, there was like a minor goal I had hit before it, before hitting 500, which is that I wanted to hit with my five by fives. I wanted to be able to do four Oh five, five yeah. by five. And I had just done that. No, you could pull 500 tomorrow morning. I think, I mean, yeah, I felt like, yeah, at that point I was just going to start working on my singles and my doubles and see where I ended up and maybe it would have been 500. But shortly after that, yeah, it was almost like that day was the, like my back was super, Your it, body, just, yeah. it was like very fatigued. I didn't, it didn't hurt. But then like a couple of days after I did a few other things and then all of a sudden it was like, uh oh, something's not right. Yeah. I, I do believe you. If you were able to produce five out of fives at four or five, your single could easily be high four hundred. Yeah, high four hundred. Maybe, maybe because I've done four or five five by five. I did that a little bit. Um, but I'm, but I do see what you're saying. But fresh, warmed up, recovered, not busting in your ideal ass scenario. All yeah, the right. prime could, situation he could probably easily pull four seventy five. Yeah, and yeah. like it's, but it's part of like the attainable versus unattainable goals. He set himself a a really good reach goal, right? right. It's not just like a oh yeah, I could do this. He's like, I want to do this. I'm going to make it my goal to do this. And but he's also making the goal of like a bunch of other smaller things all the time. And so he's like, like I was kind of talking about earlier. It's like we like I tier goals. Like mm-hmm. hey, he put it. It's an attainable goal, but like an unattainable goal is like yeah, I want to you know do six hundred. Right. But if right. He does six. He like says, "I want to do 600. And He gets five hundred along the way. He's like, "Got the other fucking goal. Let's go." Right. Yeah. right and right. but he's the probably stars, land on the moon. Yeah. And he's like, and we use a lot of the things within ourselves, like with uh, our friend group as spot. Like the I call you guys the accountability buddies. Mm-hmm. Where like we we do that really often. Like now we know one of Nate's goals is to pull five hundred. And yeah, we're gonna give him shit every time he gets injured. But he also pushes himself so much harder than I do because that's who, that's who Nate is. He pushes himself way harder than he does. Than I do at the gym because I'm like, hey, there's a weird part of me that hates to admit when I'm hurt. Oh, I know. It feels like a weakness. <clears throat> when yeah. you got sick, especially I wanted to tired, or if I'm like not in a good mood, like part of me like just doesn't want to admit it. It's like I don't want to admit that because I don't know. It's, I guess part, for some reason I can't quite figure that out. But yeah, that's something I kind of struggle with. 
Well, I mean, we know the body can do amazing things in the mind and the body are on the same page. Um, no pun intended with your last name and all that, but uh, <laughs> we should talk about that at some point, you know, about like push, not, not pushing through that because you certainly don't want to do damage to your body, but, but there is something about working out when you get to like super heavy numbers that you almost have to like embrace the suck mm. to, to force your body to adapt because mm-hmm. you, you're such, you're, your body has been conditioned to do kind of like not the same thing every day. You're always like pushing a little bit more, but you're so regimented that it's going to, I would argue it's probably going to take your body to do something pre, not drastically different, but probably 25, 30% different than your normal daily output to, mm. to hit a number like mm-hmm. that. Well, I mean, yeah, you also would probably have to realistically to not be injured and like not to take more time. If you just gained 30 pounds and you just try to fucking heavy bulk, which you could do. I mean, that's been part of it. I've been gaining weight. I've been working toward, I've been, I've been eating a lot more, obviously. You guys are seeing that. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot more, you still like your maintenance is still 5,000 calories. Well, yeah. So, like, I mean, it's hard. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, it's like you set a goal, you wanted to get to it, and like, is it is failure okay? Absolutely, fucking it is. Yeah. Um, one question I do want to ask though: What in your scenario, maybe you've failed at a goal? What have you noticed that you could do better to uh, promote yourself for success? Ask for help. It's like the one thing that I'm fucking terrible at. I am so bad if I set a goal for myself and I don't like ask for help with it. I'm not going to do it. Bro, ask the third man. <laughs> That's what we just talked about. Yeah. Like, I should just be like, hey, dude, help me out. Help me. <laughs> yeah. Like, just like, even if it's not just like, hey, asking like my guy friends or, hey, I set this goal for myself and I want to talk to Han about it and like kind of keep myself accountable on that side or like whatever it would be. It's kind of trying to figure that out and making sure that I do that. Because like, I think that's for me personally, like I don't ask for help when I need it. and then. I set myself up for failure instead of setting myself up for success. And it's something that like, I know that I do. So I have to, you know, when I text you guys like, Hey, let's do this. Or like, I know that like, if Colin's going to be waiting for me at the gym, I better fucking show up at the gym. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I would say mine's, uh, like an attainable, uh, mark off like on the hundred day challenge. I have a hundred day checklist. Like every day I do it, I check it off. And I think that Holds me all about to a huge accountability to like I, if I don't check off that fucking little square like I'm pissed I'm yeah. like I'm I'm letting myself down I think yeah. that's something I should do probably when studying for something more significant like certifications and stuff. Well, I mean, one thing that you know it's been really fun with with these talks that we've had and uh, we kind of get this like weekly checkup to to hang out together and, and keep tabs on each other. Obviously, we hang out you know outside of this quite a bit as well. But uh, it's a nice way to kind of put it out in the public as well, because now that you've put it out there, there's things that <laughs> you know how many people are going to message us about Nate. There's like, hey, yeah, we want to. Where's your deadlift at? Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. Now it's out there, especially yeah. because I think Uh-oh. surprisingly, like a, I think the majority of listeners thus far, I think somebody showed was was actually uh, girls. Yeah, so yeah. forty nine to forty eight, and then we have one percent uh, that just doesn't have a. a well, it's twenty twenty three. They don't have to. Our moms. I love that. It's it's yeah. I I thought it was like it's just probably like our moms who just like they literally don't know how to use Spotify or Apple. They just made a free account and they just never actually put in information. Yeah. Like their birthdays aren't even in there. That's probably my mom. That's why we have a demo. <laughs> we have a hundred and fifty year old listener. That's not possible. That's not possible. Yeah, that's so that's well, we appreciate everybody. But uh, Nate, real quick before we go, I need you to update me. What helps you in the failure phase of? phase of your goals what could you do better to attain them not deadlift we're not talking about that anymore personal goals educational goals what helps you yeah well i think i just i mean not to bring it back to the lifting but i would just i just kind of experienced it a little bit right then just cope kind of uh i guess just saying some some very um some very nice things that kind of made me feel good about myself you know even though i'm not able to do that it's like you're still i mean you you got other stuff going for you. And I really so, appreciate uh, that. So I guess a love language of yours is positive reinforcement. Absolutely. Of That's number one for me, baby. Damn. <laughs> a tank yeah. top's looking small right now, dude. <laughs> well, I might, I might want to want to end it with this to, to put to our listeners and of course to ourselves is, is maybe two words that, that we can all take with us at least for the next week. And ideally, you know, onward would be uh, perspective and pursuit. Hmm. That's kind of what we've talked about here is, is keeping in mind perspective, keeping in mind kind of the larger context, 
but also how important pursuing things are um, and doing it with people that keep you accountable and doing it with uh, people that inspire you to keep pushing. Yeah. I was just about to say, if you are out there and maybe you haven't obtained a goal that you've set in mind, reach out to a friend. I mean, that's what we do. That's why we're here. Uh, we keep each other accountable and we want to essentially hold each other's hands through the process that is difficult. Yeah. Reach out to us. Yeah, we'll keep you accountable. Fuck yes. Don't you worry. We'll send you a message every day that just like, hey, go to the gym. Like that one <laughs> hey, dude, you know what I'm talking about? The, I can't, keep, I can't keep myself accountable, but I will keep you accountable. God dang it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey guys, on that note, let's uh, wrap it up. All right. Nice. Well, we appreciate you listening to episode number three, ladies and gentlemen. And this <laughs> is... And our moms. This is uh, Where's My Beer. Love you, And mom. we appreciate you. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.